0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's good to see you uh, again this morning. It's Labor Day weekend. Um, I'm going to jump right in uh, this week. So, this Sunday, what we're doing is we're taking another break in between our main series for this year to look again at an article from the Apostles' Creed. Um, this is something we've been doing all year in these little weeks in between all of our main series. And we have finally arrived at like the week that in some ways kind of generated the whole idea of the project. Because today is the week that we're going to explore the statement in the creed, which like, by a huge margin generates the most follow-up questions um, every time we do this, probably from many of you. Um, here is, here's the statement. I believe in the holy Catholic church and in the communion of saints. Um do you know what makes this <laughs> generate so many questions? Um or what makes people feel concerned? Like can you guess? Any guesses? Catholic. It is the word Catholic, yes. Um bingo. Now I'll confess here, right? If you've asked me about this at any point during the year, um there's a good chance that when you did I did a little deflection. I hope you didn't catch it. I hope you didn't realize that I was just like pushing this away. Um, but I probably did a little deflection and I said something along the lines of this. Well, the short answer is that the word Catholic literally means something more like universal. But the long answer is complicated and we'll get there. And um, here we are. We have arrived <laughs> conveniently on Labor Day weekend, right? The, people at the weekend people travel. They get out of here. You guys are seeing the value of the preaching calendar right now. Why do you think so we do them? So what exactly is it that we're saying that we believe? Well, we're going to start with the noun that's kind of hiding behind those two eyebrow-raising adjectives. The subject here of this article of the creed is the church. And you'll notice when we we look at it, you'll notice that capital C, right, when we talk about the church in the creed. What that, of course, indicates is that when we're talking about the Church in the Creed, we're not talking about revolution, not talking about any particular denomination, we're not even talking about the cultural traditions and practices of any given group of nominally Christian persons, right? What we're talking about specifically is the living and the truly miraculously knit together body of all people who consider Jesus their King all over the world, and for all time. The church is the collective identity of Christians. And if you're a child of the 90s, you might think of it like this. The church is our captain planet. That helps. Any of you remember this show? I'm sure some yeah, Oh, boy, we got hands, actually. It's great. Did you like it? Yes, I like it. And the planet, ears. All right. Yes, exactly. So if you don't, which all of you do, so this paragraph is a waste of time, but anyways, <laughs> if you don't, um, these teenagers, the planeteers, right, each of them have a special ring, and these rings all have a particular kind of nature-themed power. Um, you remember them, like earth, wind, water, fire, and then who's – what's the fifth? Heart. Heart. Yeah, anyways. But in the show, right, when these, like, five nature-themed rings, they put them together and when they do, they generate this superhero named Captain Planet who fights pollution with them, mostly embodied in, like, pollution-minded villains, which, you know, what what kind of, what fantasy world are there, like, big pollution villains, like, what, it's so crazy, the 90s, none of that happened, right? Um, All right. Anyways, I know this is silly. I also know this probably runs afoul of some strict dogmatics. Many of you are paying attention, and it's also not a perfect ecclesial analogy. But what I do like about it, about this metaphor, is that Captain Planet is both a part of these kids and also like a figure or force that's distinct from them. He is their leader, but they are not him. And instead, he shows up whenever these people with their separate rings like get together, and their powers separately contribute to the things that Captain Planet is doing. And I think the picture that we see in the Bible of Jesus and the church is certainly not the same as all of that, but the illustration might still help us out in a few ways. Jesus' disciple Peter writes this to the collective congregations of Christian churches spread around the Mediterranean Sea in the first century. He writes, come to him a living stone Though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Peter's vision of what this growing group of Jesus' followers ought to be is notable because what he envisions is not Like a loose affiliation of little congregations who come together for annual conferences. That is not his vision. And he doesn't envision something like a franchise either, right, where... One model of success is like systematized and then copied in each distinct place like McDonald's or Starbucks, right? That's not what he imagines. And, and maybe most strikingly, he doesn't imagine something like the Roman Empire, which would be the easiest thing for him to compare it to, where this like army of missionaries travel between outposts and then like seek to conquer and convert all of the pagans around them. What Peter imagines is a single building built stone by stone in every corner of the world for the purpose of experiencing God's presence and bearing witness to God's love. Now we should note that in the first century, the church could have gone in any of those other different ways. It could have been a loose affiliation or a franchise or an empire. But it didn't. It was imagined by the apostles from the start As a building, or even better yet Because the purpose of the church Is experiencing and sharing God's love As a body, as a united body of believers So the church is the the material, the earthly home Of God's spirit And each little group of believers Like everywhere, all through all time Is like a brick in the structure of that home It is a part of of the body as the apostle paul often imagines it and the cornerstone or the head of that structure is the living person of jesus and so we're going to get to to what this means for us right as one little brick right now in 2023 in the city of annapolis we're going to get to what this means for us here just a bit but before we do that i want to talk um about those two adjectives that come before the noun in the creed So what does it mean for us as a church to be holy, and what does it mean for the church to be Catholic? Now, I've made you wait long enough, so we're going to flip them, right? We'll do Catholic first. (laughs) So one trick here that I learned is that, like many words that we still use from ancient languages, um, the the reality is we don't know what it means, um, not entirely. So I'll give you a little bit of background. The root here is the Greek word Catholicos. Which seems to be, as best we can tell, a compound of the phrase kathulu, which means on the whole or in general, and the word kata, which means about. So about, on the whole, in general. One thing that is fascinating is it actually does show up once in the in the New Testament in the New Testament, and it shows up in a place that is in no way helpful for this conversation. But I'll share it. It shows up in the book of Acts. When Peter and John are brought before the authorities in Jerusalem For inciting trouble around town By proclaiming that Jesus rose from the dead And in verse 18 we read that those authorities quote Called them and ordered them not to speak or teach At all in the name of Jesus And that at all is a translation of the word Catholicos. And it seems to me in the context of that verse In any way or place whatever or universally. Don't talk about Jesus to anybody in any place for any reason. So our understanding of the word Catholic still carries that basic sense. It means universal in any place, wherever, for whatever reason. Now, unfortunately it's a few hundred years before we show, before this word shows up again in any of our in any of our texts. And it shows up actually in a, a book of church history written by a man named Eusebius who was a church historian in the fourth century, so had been hundreds of years. And specifically, he uses it closer to the modern sense because he uses it in reference to the collection of letters written by Peter and John and James, and the most notably, that the church has been sharing uh, among themselves. And so he refers to these letters that were originally written to singular churches, but they end up getting shared by all the churches. He refers to them as the Catholic epistles. So again, this idea that these letters, although they were written to one group of people, um, are best used by everyone throughout the church. Now, I added that, so I don't remember where I was. Anyways, what's the tension with the word now, right? So we get this universal sense. Well, the tension of the word now, right, rises from the use of the word Catholic in specific reference to the Catholic church in Rome. Now, That church, the Catholic Church, is certainly part of the church, the capital C Church. Practitioners of Catholicism are also followers of Jesus. But the confusion here rises from the claim to that universal title, right, in the wake of this major fracturing of Christian denominations between the East or the Orthodox Church and the West or the Roman Catholic Church in the 11th century. For about a thousand years, we've been living in this tension. And since that fracturing... Catholic, which is supposed to mean all of us, has come to refer specifically to the denomination of the Roman Church. Which, as I hope you can now see, is a pretty frustrating and ironic twist on the word's meaning. This word that means everybody has come to mean one particular Greek. In any case, when we are using the word Catholic in the Creed, what we're saying is that we believe that the Church of Jesus exists everywhere everywhere for everyone, for all time. It is universal, right? Or at least it ought to be. But we have two adjectives, and the other one causes us to hang up, too. Because the church isn't just supposed to be Catholic, existing everywhere for everybody all time. It's also supposed to be holy. What does that mean? Word we use all the time in church. but rarely defined. What are we signing up for when we say that we're going to be part of a holy Catholic church? Well, if we go back to 1 Peter, and we read on a bit from the verse we read a moment ago, we find this. Peter says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This passage is helpful for situating our understanding of the word holy in a useful context, I think. Because, again, the word holy is also a word that is famously difficult to define. Not as hard as Catholic, but in the ballpark. As best we can discern, right, the word holy means as of God, or as God is, or set apart. Its definition flows out from who we believe God to be. God isn't holy. Holy is God, I guess is maybe a way of flipping that. We only understand anything about the word based on what we believe about him. It is as of him or as he is. Now, the sense in the use of the word is that God and God alone is already and completely and truly whole, right? So there's the same root there as our use of the word whole, meaning like complete, right? that God alone is whole or existing in perfect relationship with his intended identity. Like no flaw, no deviation from his purpose or his design. He is whole. And what we believe as Christians is that God's purpose and even God's holiness, his need to be who he is, leads him to bring to holiness the things that he has made, which are not whole. And to do that, what is unholy, which is to say what is out of sync with its design, has to, be, has to be let go or turned away from. And then the only one who is holy must bring that creation along towards what it is meant to be. Okay, that was complicated. I know. It was abstract. But perhaps it is more approachable, I think, to think of this in the same way that Peter does in that verse we just read. Before he knew Peter – I'm sorry. I get that wrong. Before Peter knew Jesus, right, he was in the dark about himself. He was just a guy living, doing the things that he was doing, fishing, you know, living probably as best a life as he knew how to live. But he was in the dark about himself and what he was intended for. He was in the dark about who God was. He was in the dark about the way the world is. And then through this relationship he has with the person of Jesus – he says that he was brought into a world of marvelous light, that Jesus brings light to the darkness and confusion of his life up to that point. And in the light of Jesus, he begins to see the things that are unholy in himself, which is to say out of sync. In that through that relationship he has with his friend who is holy. So it's that example, not just the example of Jesus of how to be, but just the growing like illumination that a relationship with Jesus brings to him that helps him see like what needs to be changed in his view of the world, his view of himself, his view of others. Alright. So I would contend then that when we say we believe in the holy church, what we're saying is that what God is equipping and leading the church to do is to be carriers of his light in dark places. That's an important distinction because what I'm not saying is that we need to be perfect. Because, of course, we can't be, right? What we need to be are carriers or vessels of that illumination. And we need to do that particularly when we don't have our own acts together. If we're not allowing that light to show us us, then it's not going to be much of a testimony to anybody else. So all of this, what it requires, right, is that we don't squint while we're holding the torch. We need to be vulnerable about what the light of our relationship with God exposes in us and remain confident That even when what we see about ourselves is scary, it's still better to be able to see than it is to go back to living in darkness. And one big trouble, of course, is that we don't often see little c churches operating this way. As we've talked about before, the tendency, particularly among American churches, is to think of ourselves as the light, not as carriers of it. But as, as like to find the need to be the light ourselves, to be people who must be perfect. But a holy church, according to Peter, isn't the light itself. What it is is the carrier, the testimony to that light. Which means that like the better metaphor that we see all through the Bible is that what we're actually intended to be is something closer to what Israel once was, right? We are evidence of God's plan to bring everything and everyone back to holiness with him and so because that's how Peter is trying to that's what Peter is trying to convince the church to understand he at this point in his letter right he quotes the book of Hosea where God promises once you were not a people but now you are God's people once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy and one reason this matters so much is because if it is true right that what Jesus has done and is still doing, he's actively making this difference, he's actively pulling us as a community and as individuals closer to holiness, if that's really happening, then we ought to be able to see it, right? The holiness of the church, not in the sense that we're perfect, but in the sense that we're honest and that we're sincere and that we're courageous, right, in our kindness and in our vulnerability, even about our own brokenness, all of that stuff is intended to be visible evidence of God's plan actually happening, of it working. When people look at us, they need to see not that we are, are like special superheroes who have become like God, but we need, they need to see in us that, that God's love is really enough to cause regular people just like them to turn around and to try to pursue something different. We don't have to be dominated by the same fear and anxiety and jealousy that used to dominate our lives. When we really believe that God's holiness is enough, that his light shining into our lives is good for us even when it's painful, then we can become confident, find a new confidence in the ways that we love and serve others. One that's freed from the constant need to defend ourselves or to protect our reputations. So, the church, of which we are a part, is holy, Catholic, and then the last part of this week's affirmation, it is in communion with the saints. This is another sticking point for some of us, and for the same reason, ultimately, as the word Catholic, which is that when we hear the word saints, we start thinking about mystical superheroes of the faith, or at least we start thinking about people who are a lot more holy than we'll ever be. Where this morning, I think about... Someone reminded me. Who reminded me about it? Randy reminded me that there has to be a patron saint of lost things. Because I lost the keys to this building. And I am in the middle of eating a lot of crow with our landlord. Because I had to call her to come let us in. It's going to be trouble this whole week. I know it. So, all up. Preaching to myself. Let the light shine even on my weaknesses and brokenness. Eat the crow. But anyways, I'm wishing that... I don't know how the patron saint of lost things works, but if Anthony, Anthony, Anthony if Anthony can help me find my keys, that would be fantastic, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, anyways, that may be how we think about saints, but let's break this idea down to you. Although sainthood has come to be, right, a way of recognizing people of exceptional commitment to Christian faith or exceptional abilities to find lost things, Sainthood doesn't start out quite that same way. At first, the term saint is, is connected or reserved for these heroes of the faith um, in the long history of Israel, not the long history of the church, but the long history of Israel. So think about some of the folks whose stories we told over the summer, right? Abraham or Isaac or Moses or Rahab or Jeremiah. What made these people important to Israel was the testimony. That their lives shared about the importance and possibility of doing what God asks us to do even when doing it is hard, right? Their stories are not about them being superheroes. Their stories are really meant to offer encouragement to everybody else in hard times and reassurance that like putting your, your nose down and living sacrificially, living as God calls you to, really does bear fruit in the end, even if it's not fruit that you're able to see in your own lifetime. Now, of course, as the Christian church moved forward in time from the first century and faced increasing persecution, this same kind of honor the same way of recognizing people who, like, stay committed to the thing even when the thing gets hard and costly, that same honor begins to be bestowed on people who are stoned or arrested or face lions in the Colosseum. And the point wasn't in trying to create superheroes. The point was in trying to prove that it is possible for us to persist. But you might be thinking, right, doesn't calling them saints like cloud the picture of who we're really supposed to be worshipping? Right, that's often a thing I hear from folks. Well let's look at how the author of Hebrews talks about this particular part of the, the equation. The author of Hebrews writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken the seat at the right hand of the throne of God. We can think of saints as this great cloud of witnesses. Who the author of Hebrews imagines as like watching us and cheering us on in our own part of the story, like spectators almost to the sporting event. And at the head of this crowd of, of of onlookers, right, as well as at the head of the church, is Jesus, who's ultimately the one who sets the example for us by enduring uh, the cross. And so together, these voices and examples, they don't exist. To intimidate us. They don't in- exist to try and like lift up people who are like so far beyond what we could ever be that it that it like puts us back in our place. Like this crowd of witnesses exists for encouragement. For encouragement for us. They're like the first kids that like go down the scary water slide at summer camp, right there now down there at the bottom showing you that it can be done. And now it's your time to do it. Now I'll acknowledge it can be scary, particularly in a non-denominational church like us. We don't have that same level of attachment to traditions as other denominations do. It can be scary to consider like a hall of fame of faith. But I think what the idea of sainthood can do for us is it can help us ground our particular stories in this bigger story that God is telling. It can be a reminder to us that we're not on our own. And it can be very easy in a church like Revolution, like a church that you know rents space and loses keys to a local theater. <coughs> like it can be easy for us to feel like it's just us and we're all on our own. But by remembering this larger tradition, not just even of the churches around us, but even stretching through time, we can be, feel more plugged into something that's a lot more stable and, and uh, resilient than any one body could be. And we remember that tradition behind us We can find reassurance that our little part in this story actually matters. Alright, we've covered a lot. So what does it all add up to? I believe there is a church, a singular building and body of God's people in the world. I believe that this church is holy because our reconciliation is happening now. It is happening here and what God is doing in our lives actually does make a real difference I believe that the church is Catholic because God's intention is for all of us to be on the same team with each other just as God is on all of our teams. And I believe that the church is in communion with the saints because I believe that the past matters and that we are not all starting over all the time. And that ultimately this is really good news because it means that our chapters are just one little part of the story that's been being told and will continue to be told And it's still unfolding, right? That we get to play this little part. So that's all fascinating. Maybe that makes you feel a little more comfortable next time you read the creed. But I want to close by exploring, does any of this change how we act in the world now? Does it matter? I think that it does. And here's how. First, if all of this stuff is true, then we have to allow for differences in the larger community of the Capital C Church. Not every part of the body of the church is the same. Not every piece of a building is the same. And if revolution is one door into this structure that some people can use to get into this bigger body, this bigger building of the church, that's cool. And at the same time, Heritage Baptist or College Creek or St. Mary's or Bay Area, all of those are also other parts of this big building. They might be walls or floors or windows or roofs. We don't all have to look the same in this thing. We don't all have to be the same. And it's a big deal in my heart, personally, to remember this and also to do the second thing, right? The second thing is that we do have to be bold about who we are. Who am I is a question I've been wrestling with a lot this year. And the truth is, right, I'm a better teacher than I am a leader. I am better at being present with people than I am at confronting them. And can I grow in these kinds of things? Yes, of course I can. But I also need to lean into the specific ways that I'm gifted. And the same is true for you. And the same is true for revolution. What are our strengths as a church community? Well, we're good at helping people feel safe when they're exploring faith, particularly if they're coming from a background where they've they've been traumatized. We're good at encouraging people to ask questions. We're less good at answering them, at least on weeks when everybody's here, right? (laughs) We're good at loving each other and helping people feel like they're part of a community no matter what they believe. And we're good at loving each other and staying together with each other even when we disagree about important stuff. And we need to get better at all of that stuff. But more important than getting better at those things and and even getting better at our weaknesses is learning how to be bold in the stuff that makes us distinct. Because the big C church needs us, not because we're the solution to every problem or we're doing it right, but because we're an important brick next to a bunch of other important bricks. And we need to be the best version of that brick we can be. All of this, of course, is a reminder about thing three, which is that we need to resist being competitive. If it's true that there's just one church and that, not, and that it's not going to be healthy, right, if I'm criticizing or complaining or backbiting or judging anybody else, you don't need – and this is a thing for me obviously in my role, but it's for you too because you don't need to feel like this community is the only one that has to have things figured out. We don't have to fall for the trap, right, of thinking that our purpose here at Revolution is to win, and that your purpose as a part of this church is to try and help this church win, or that you need to get everybody to stop going to whatever church they're going to and come to this one or come with you. We don't need to fall into that trap because our purpose isn't to win. Our purpose is to bring just a little more light into this big community, to be as good of a brick in the building as we can be. And that means, of course, that the last thing is we need to remember to work together as much as we possibly can. I'm glad, ultimately, that are so many other little bricks, little other candles out there. And it is not my role to personally pastor like every single person in Annapolis. I couldn't do it even if I wanted to. And it's not your role, like I said, to get your neighbor to leave wherever they're going or to give up on their faith or denomination or whatever and come with you to this church. And it's not our job together when we're here on Sunday mornings to build a service or a community that appeals to absolutely everybody. The church down the street, right, is our partner in all this. And that's good news because we can't do everything anyways. So as a Little C Church, what we're going to do is we're going to continue to serve at Heritage's Food Pantry, right? We're going to continue to give up the draw of a Christmas Eve service every december twenty fourth so that we can do a corporate service and worship alongside other people we're going to continue to give financially to other churches and to other ministries because we want them to be successful and frankly, if you're here and this isn't the best home for you, i'd be excited to help you find a place that is more comfortable or that works better for you. I love that you're here i don't necessarily want you to go, but I also don't want you to feel like If I'm not here, then I might as well be dirt, right? Like, I want you to know that you're loved and wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, we're behind you. The point is, right, that we are one part of something that is holy because God's alive inside of it. And we're one part of something that's Catholic because it's meant to reach everywhere. And we're one part of a communion because our chapter connects to the stories that come before us and will hopefully be an encouragement to all the stories that follow. I'm grateful to be here. This community stretches me, it encourages me, it helps me lean in to who God's made me to be, and I hope you are similarly blessed by being here, and that together we are a similar blessing to the people around us. God really is moving. This stuff really does matter. I pray that we'll have the courage to keep our eyes open as we go through this.